I'm going to talk with you a little bit tonight about leadership, and particularly leadership, leadership in the most unlikely places. And right now, at home, I've been working up a series of lessons for a Bible class. The series is entitled Kingdom Leaders. I'm putting together 26 lessons. I'm just about finished with that, but for the past week or so, I've been working on the lesson that I'm going to talk with you about tonight. And uh, while our format here tonight is not strictly Bible class, I will give you an opportunity to respond on a couple of things in just about five minutes from right now. Give just a little bit of feedback and give me some illustrations. Leadership in the kingdom of God is one of the great needs today. So many congregations across the country do not have what you have here. You all have fine, fine elders here in this congregation. Many churches don't have elders. Some churches that used to have elders no longer have elders, and that's tragic. And some churches simply have no prospects uh, of elders. When we think of leaders, typically that's the first thing we think of in the church. Elders, deacons, maybe preachers. But leadership is something far, far larger than that. A person can be a leader in the kingdom of God without being a preacher or a deacon or an elder. My class is entitled Kingdom Leaders, and then as a sub subtitle, I've put together, you can see the cover on my workbook, my subtitle is, a Bible class for those who want to be all they can be in God's kingdom. And my Bible class is for both men and women. And someone says, well, women can't be leaders. Well, if you think in terms of elders and deacons and preachers, maybe that's the case. But there are women in the kingdom of God who indeed are leaders, and we're going to look at a little bit of that tonight. Leadership, though, is one of our great needs in the church today. We need to understand principles of leadership. What makes a person a leader? Have you ever considered, what, how do you define leadership and what gives a person the ability to, to lead others and others want to follow them? We'll talk just a little bit about that tonight. As we get underway this evening, though, I want to talk to you about a sister. She's been dead now for well over 30 years. Her name was Larie Suits. She was a member of the Emerson Avenue congregation in Indianapolis when my family and my wife and I became members there in the fall of 1969. Sister Suits at that point was about 75 years of age, and she was blind. She had been blind since age 13. At age 13, she had had some kind of malady with her eyes, and she went to a doctor, and the doctor said, I think I can fix your eyes, and he put something in her eyes and made her go completely blind, and she never saw the light of day for the rest of her life. It was a very unfortunate circumstance. And as she aged, Sister Larie Suits was confined to a wheelchair by an illness that consumed her body. And when we met her, she had been recently diagnosed with cancer. And her chemotherapy caused her to sleep about 18 hours a day. But in the spring of 1970, Brother James Cope held a gospel meeting for the Emerson Avenue Church. And Sister Suits was there at every service of that gospel meeting. And I sometimes think that maybe... Her example was more powerful. Maybe she did more good for more people than the preacher did. And not to say that the preacher did a poor job by any means. But sometimes when you see someone do something extraordinary like that, that this woman, as I mentioned, is sleeping 18 hours a day. She would get home from services in the evening, have a little snack, go to bed, get up in the morning, have a little snack, get up in the late afternoon, have another snack, bathe, come to the meeting, and start it all over again. She did that the entire meeting, and did not miss a single service. And it was very difficult for her to do that. But the gospel was that important in her life. Now, 
You might think of someone like that. Blind, in a wheelchair, 75 years old, terminal cancer, could not be a leader in the kingdom of God. And how wrong would we be if we were to conclude that? Sister Suits was looked up to. She was respected by every member of the Emerson Avenue Church. Both young and old would go to her for advice and for counsel. Even preachers and elders, when they came across difficult situations in life, Sister Suits had been through so many things that preachers and elders would go to her for counsel. She was respected because of her love, because of her kindness, her wisdom, her example of graceful aging. She held no formal position of leadership in the local church, but she was a leader nonetheless. And in spite of her poor health and need for special care, she had the respect of everyone in the Emerson Avenue Church. She was a woman of influence. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what leadership is. It is influence. It's the ability to influence others for good in this case. And of course, you have sometimes evil leaders who influence people in the wrong way. But she was a woman of influence because of her character, and that certainly made, made her a leader. And I, I want to pause just for a moment here and give you an opportunity. Maybe you know someone in your acquaintance. Maybe you know someone that you can look to and say, this person has real respect and others want to follow that person. Uh, maybe there's some, maybe there's some uh, sister in the congregation or someone maybe you've known in the past. Uh, could, could you name anyone? I'll give you an opportunity. Someone that, that you know, maybe is not thought of, certainly not a formal leader in the congregation. I don't, want, I don't want you to mention elders or preachers or deacons because they've all got positions of leadership. But someone who indeed is a leader. Can you name someone? Someone from this side. Yes, ma'am. Sister Clayton. You know, I thought someone would say that. And when I met her several years ago, a number of years ago when I was here the first time, I certainly recognized that. Uh, and this is, this is what I mean by having such respect because of love, kindness, all those things, wisdom. That, makes a, that can make a person a leader. Uh, give me another one. We appreciate that. Give me another one. I'll take someone else from this side. Come on, help me. All right, I'll go to this side. Come on, give me one more. Yes, sir, Phil. Henry Long. Tell me about Brother Long. Okay, knowledgeable, wise, gentle. What kind of, let me ask you a question, and this is a larger question now. You don't have to name any, any particular person, but what qualities in a person make you look up to them with respect? What qualities in a person make them a person of influence? What are some things you could think of? If I had a board here, if I have to list the top ten things, what would I list? Give me one thing, Evan. Okay, honesty. What's another word for honesty? There's an I word. Integrity. Great word. This means you're a person of your word, a person who does what, it, what the truth requires, a person who tells the truth. Honesty. You know, do you respect dishonest people? I don't think so. Give me another quality beyond honesty. That's good. Yes, sir. Wisdom. You respect people of wisdom. People who have good judgment. Write that down if you're keeping a list. I'm going to write it on my imaginary board here. Okay? So, integrity, honesty, wisdom. Okay, give me another quality. I'm still over on this side. What is it? People who care for others. Those who are caring souls. Those who are interested. Who have genuine concern for other people. 
You know, brother, one of the things that we're really focusing on in this series on leadership, and I'm only tonight, I'm only tonight just presenting a few thoughts, but we're talking about shepherds, about elders serving as shepherds. And what did Jesus in John chapter 10 say? Jesus in John chapter 10 talked about the hireling who when trouble comes, he flees because he does not care for the sheep. He doesn't care anything about them. It means nothing to him. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and I give my life for the sheep. Jesus cares. Why do we follow Jesus? Because one of the reasons we follow him is because he cares so much for us. There are many other reasons, but you have to care for other people. This lady we mentioned, Sister Suits, at the Emerson Avenue Church in Indianapolis, she was certainly a caring person that everyone looked up to. Give me one or two more things. One or two. Humility. Yeah, the, instead of being proud and arrogant, puffed up, being humble. That's good. Okay? One or two more? On this side? Kenny. Yeah, unconditional love. You care about people even if, even if they're not the kind of people that would normally be cared about. You know, I heard a, a, a story one time about a father who said to his, his son, he said, son, you treat other people right, not because of what they are, but because of what you are. And you know, Kenny, we love other people, not because they're always lovable, but we love other people because of what we are and what the Lord has made us. He's made us. He shed his love abroad in our hearts. And so we love other people. Uh, there's one more word I'm looking for that no one's touched on yet. Maybe all these things together kind of go for it. What is it? Okay. You, yeah. You want, to, you want to have confidence in the person. That's a good word. One of the words that I thought about is servanthood. A person who is truly a servant to others. And again, uh, what did Jesus say about himself? He said he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, there, there are other qualities that we could talk about too, but I want to go back now to the Old Testament and one of, one of, what has become one of my favorite characters, okay? And you know with preachers, what's the favorite chapter in the Bible? It's the chapter they're studying this week. And the favorite character is the one they're working on right now. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament, to Judges chapter 4, and we're going to see Deborah. A case of a woman, indeed, who was a leader. She's one of the great female leaders of all time. She was a judge in Israel, and she was used by God to save the Israelites from the army of King Jabin of Hazor. And she stands out in stark contrast to some of the other judges in Israel. This was a woman of capability, a woman of character, and a woman of care. And we'll see something in contrast to her in just a moment. But if you would please allow me to read the first nine verses of Judges chapter 4. And then I'd like to just make a few comments on that. And maybe there's a few comments that you'd like to make. If you have something you'd like to say or add to what I'm saying here, please hold up your hand and I'll be most happy to call on you. We're looking here at Judges chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, When Ehud was dead... The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of, of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, 
the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And I'm sure that you know the rest of the story. I just wanted to read those opening nine verses because I think we learned something about leadership. Leadership in what you might think would be an unlikely place. She, this is, a, this is a woman who is a leader. She is indeed a kingdom leader. She has been chosen by God to be a prophetess, and she was chosen by God to be a judge in Israel. But I want you to see why she was respected. There are ten things that I want you to note about Deborah. And the first thing is the last thing I mentioned a moment ago, and that has to do with servanthood. She was a woman who served others. As you look again at the text in verses 4 and 5, what did she do? Well, it says she was judging Israel at that time. And if you note at the end of verse 5, the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. This woman was a servant in the kingdom of God. When you look in your, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the really great people, the really great kingdom leaders are all servants. What, what, in fact, when you, and it's not just that you look at individual names, though we could mention several. When you look at a, at a man, a husband, a father in the home, what is he to be? He is to be a servant leader in his home. You know, sometimes men get this distorted view. I, hey, I get to be the boss. I get to tell everybody jump, and they're supposed to say, how high? Listen, a man who is following the Lord Jesus Christ is a servant. What was Jesus? He was a servant. But look at the people you see in the New Testament. What was Paul? What a servant. Paul talked about how he had made himself the servant to many, a slave to many. Over in the book of Romans chapter 16, you read about a woman named Phoebe. What does it call her? It calls her a servant of the church in Sancria. You see, case after case, people who serve others. And isn't it strange that the kingdom of God is really an inverted kingdom? Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you've got to be a servant of everyone. Whoever would be the greatest among you, let him be the slave of all. And some people say, oh, I wish Jesus hadn't used that word for slave. That's too harsh. No, a slave is someone who has no rights. And I fear that sometimes in our culture today, we get so caught up with our rights. You know, I've got a right to this. I've got a right to that. A slave is someone who doesn't have rights. A slave is someone who is submissive. And with respect to our God, we're submissive. And with respect to the needs of other people, we're submissive to the needs of others. There's so much that you could say about servanthood. But Jesus, in giving an example of servanthood, said that he gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the prime example of a servant. We have an inverted kingdom where 
It's not like the Gentiles. Jesus said in the kingdom of the Gentiles, well, the, the man is the king. He lords it over everybody and says, I'm the boss and everybody has to follow me. But Jesus said, I came to be your servant. And that's the kind of person that this woman Deborah was. People came to her for judgment. And because they came to her for judgment, this tells us, ladies and gentlemen, that she was a woman who possessed wisdom. Because I will tell you, there were some judges in Israel that nobody, but nobody would go to. Let me ask you, whoever went to Samson for, for judgment? He's called a judge in that he was a deliverer. But whoever went to Samson and said, Samson, I'm wrestling with a really big problem. Can you tell me what to do in this case? The only people that ever came to Samson were these women who were trying to figure out his riddles. Okay? And he, he, wasn't, he was not a man who possessed wisdom. But this is a woman who possessed wisdom. People go to the person who possesses wisdom. I learned a long time ago that if you can demonstrate wisdom and you reach out to others to help them, people will come to you. That's what I saw in Sister Suits. And then someone mentioned confidence a little while ago. Deborah had the confidence of others. You don't, listen, when you're dealing with a tough question in life, you don't go and ask people you have no confidence in. Who would have had confidence in Samson? Who would have said, Samson, I'm having a, a marriage problem right now. Could you give me some advice? I mean, come on. If you know anything about the story of Samson, you know that would not be the case. But because she was a woman, because Deborah was a woman who had the confidence of the people, she's someone who possessed integrity. And, and I'm putting these points up here because there's another side of the board over here this plank. We're going to put someone else on the other side. In fact, we're going to put two people on the other side. And you're going to see the contrast. What you see now, you say, okay, well, I, I agree. Yeah, she's a person of integrity, a person who's honest in dealing with other people. That's all good. But when you see the other side, then she really rises to the top. You really see what her character was. But I want you to notice this, that she's a woman who held firm convictions. If you look at, at verse 6, she says, she, she's called for, for Barak. Barak, of course, is the leader of the army here in, in this part of Israel. And she said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Hasn't God told you to go and do this? And, and it almost seems to me, and maybe I'm reading something into this that I shouldn't, but it seems to me as though Barak has already been told to do this. She says, Hasn't the Lord said, Go do this? And it's almost like saying, why aren't you doing it? See, this is a woman who knows what ought to be done. And when God has said this ought to be done, she knows it ought to be carried out. And she's asking this fellow, why aren't you doing it? That's why I say that she is a woman who held firm convictions. She held convictions that God's will ought to be carried out. And it sure looks like at this point that Barak is not carrying it out. And so what does she do? She does what a leader does. She reminds others of their duty. She reminds him of his duty. She says in verses 6 and 7, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulon. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitudes at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And she reminds him then of his duty, that the Lord has told you to do this, now you need to go and do it. But look at what happens here. Barak is somewhat reluctant to go. What do you think about Barak? He says, 
He says to her in verse 8, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Even though the Lord has told him to go, he says, I will not unless you go with me. Anything you can learn from that? Give me some feedback here. Anything you learn from that? What is it? Well, that may be. Maybe he lacks some confidence in God. That, that indeed could be the case. Anything else you could say? Anything else? He respected this woman's spiritual standing, I think. And I think he says, you know, it's evident that God is with this woman. And if this woman goes with me, then God will be with me. I think that's probably where he is. But clearly, Barak is not the strong leader that Deborah is. Clearly not. And I think people naturally follow leaders who are stronger than themselves. And so he says, I'll go. But you're going to have to lead the way. I'll go if you'll go with me. And so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey that you're taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And when people first see that text, I remember years ago when I first read this story, didn't know what the rest of the story was, didn't know that a terrible scene is about to happen here, an ugly, kind of an ugly scene, scary. I thought, well, okay, um, I guess what she means is she's talking about herself. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman and that Deborah is the woman. Deborah is not the woman. The woman is Jael, the wife of Heber, and Sisera goes, Sisera on the run from the army of Israel, goes to her tent and says, I gotta have anything to drink. I need something to drink. I need a little bit of rest. She gives him some milk. He lays down to rest and she takes a tent peg and it must have been a long one. And she literally nailed his head to the floor, went through the temple on one side, not the other into the floor. That's the woman under consideration here. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting story, to say the least. But when she says, the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman, she's talking about Jael, the, man who, the woman who actually killed Sisera. So she reminded others of their duty. But look here. She fostered others' success. She contributed to the success of others. She contributed to the success of Barak. Do you think Barak would have been successful? Now, if he had trusted in the Lord, as the brother said, if he had just done what the Lord said, maybe everything would have been okay. But I don't think he had enough confidence in himself or the Lord to go out and do this work. And so by being there, by being willing to go along on this trip into the war, she contributed to his success and to the success of the army of Israel and to the glory of this woman, Jael, who killed Sisera, the captain of the army. And I think when you put all this together, you say what? I think this woman exceeded her expectations. I brought to you the story of Sister Suits a few minutes ago and asked you, surely someone like this couldn't be a leader. And yet this woman was a leader. She exceeded her expectations. And that's off of what leaders do. You expect this much. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, and this is something that Edwin and I taught our trainees, and we, we have young preacher trainees come to our congregation. Uh, we teach them, give people more than they expect of you. If people think you're going to do this much work, then do this much more. 
exceed the expectations because that's what leaders do. Leaders don't try to get by with the, the least that they can do. And, and Deborah could have sat back and said, listen, Barak, it's not my job to go and fight that war. You go off and do it by yourself. No, she's willing to go the extra mile to do whatever is necessary to, to do her part in bringing victory to the people of Israel. But the two last things I want you to see here. She gave credit to others. She doesn't take a lot of credit for herself. She gives credit to others. She gives credit to Jael, this woman to whom the Lord sold uh, Sisera. But also notice again in verse 9, one more time. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. She gives credit to God. And you know, brethren, it just seems to me that whatever we may accomplish in the kingdom of God, whatever achievements may be made, whatever successes we may have, we make a terrible mistake if we kind of put our hands behind our, our collar and lapels and say, hey, you know, I'm pretty good, aren't I? Now, the truth is, whatever we are, it's only what God has allowed us to do and what God has made us. We're nothing by ourselves. We are nothing. And the sooner we learn that, the better off we'll be. And the more likely we are to be leaders in the kingdom of God if we recognize how little we are and how great our God is and that victory ultimately comes from God. No matter what the victory is. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he comes to the close of that chapter... He talked in the early part of the chapter about all the things that they endured and uh, the, the sufferings. He talked about the, the resurrection that's coming, but the suffering that they endured at the present time. And he talks about the aging of the body and, and various things. But he comes to the end of that chapter and he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Credit goes to God. Credit goes to our Lord Jesus. We don't take credit for ourselves. This woman has got it right when she says, the Lord is the deliverer in this case. Yes, Barak, you've got a role to play. I've got a role to play. J.L. has got a role to play. The 10,000 soldiers who are going out to fight Jabin's army, they've got a role to play. But the Lord is the deliverer. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The power of God into salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everyone who believes. The gospel is God's power to save. Paul believed in the power of God. And that's what we need to believe in. The power of God to deliver, to save, to do whatever needs to be done. Well, would you agree with me that those are pretty good credentials? This woman's a leader served others, possessed wisdom, had the confidence of others. All these things, this is, a, this is a good woman. A woman who was able to lead, in essence, lead an army. A woman that was highly respected by everyone in her community. Uh, she would have had, it seems to me, a very high approval rating when even the, the captain of the army says, I'm not going without you. Wouldn't it be great if all the Bible characters were just like this? This kind of integrity? This kind of confidence in God. This kind of obedience to God. But unfortunately, all were not. And not all of the judges were. I mentioned Samson. But I want to mention two other judges. And I'm going to opt Edwin out of this. There's two other judges. I'm going to put their names up here. They're brothers. Did you know there were two brothers who were judges? 
Anyone know their names? Come on, you get a gold star. Put your hand down, Evelyn. There were two brothers who were judges. Brothers who were judges? 1 Samuel chapter 8. And, you know, I have to tell you guys, when you look at the list of judges, when you look in the Bible encyclopedia or the Bible dictionary, these two guys typically get left off the list. And my daughter called me a couple weeks ago and said, Daddy, I'm teaching on the judges right now, and I don't know how many judges there are. I don't know if there's 14 or if there's 15. Because some lists include this man Abimelech, and that makes 15. Others take Abimelech out and make only 14. So which is right, Daddy, 14 or 15? Neither one, baby. 17 in all. Because these two men, First Samuel chapter 8, First Samuel chapter 8, two men, namely Joel and Abijah, they're both called judges. But one, one sister in our congregation said, yeah, but they were bad guys, so they couldn't have been judges. Okay. Okay, so if you're bad, you couldn't have been a judge, even if the Bible calls you a judge, right? Okay, what does that do to all the northern kings in the northern kingdom? The northern kingdom then never had a single king if you're going to strike out the bad ones and say they don't count. Here you go. Now look with me. In first, I'm looking at First Samuel chapter 8, beginning of verse 1. It says, It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Well, in those five verses, a lot is revealed about these two sons. These two sons of Samuel, Joel and Abijah. The text said that he had made them judges. And so they served that role whether they were good guys or not. But who did they serve? You see, in the, case of, in the case of Deborah, she served others. What did we just learn about these guys? Who did they serve? That's right, sister. They served themselves. They were interested only in themselves. Now, already, do you think we're talking good leaders here? Good leaders are not people who serve themselves. They're servants to others. Edwin's got a lesson, I suspect he's probably done it here at some point, called foot washers. And in fact, one of my lessons on leadership in this series of 26 that I've put together is entitled Foot Washers. Because that's what we're to be. We're to be people who serve others, not seek to be served. These fellows serve themselves. Now, we, we saw that Deborah was a woman who possessed wisdom. What would you say about these fellows? I think we could say that they probably lacked wisdom. Wouldn't you agree with that? Look again at verse 3. The text in verse 3. These two boys, it says, the sons did not walk in Samuel's ways. They turned aside. First of all, when they turned aside from the ways of Samuel, you knew that they lacked wisdom right there. And without knowing anything else about them, you know that. But look at what else it says. There was... If you were to take a vote on these guys, they'd get a vote of no confidence because others did not have confidence in them. And, and what does it say? 
look at verse 3 again. His sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. The people of Israel do not want to be judged by these two boys. They have no confidence in them because they know what kind of character they have. These were young men who lacked integrity. The fact that they were willing to take bribes. It says they're perverting justice. They went after dishonest gain. Well, so much for integrity. And so we say that these were young men who did not have convictions. You know, it frightens me sometimes when I see people who, from all outward appearances, maybe for years, seem to be spiritual people. Uh, attend every service, and sometimes they might be an, that person might be an elder in the church, or might be a, even a gospel preacher. And then one day you hear that they've left the Lord and they've run off with some other man's wife, or something like that. And it's absolutely shocking when it happens. And you think, didn't you believe all along? I mean, were you pretending? What happened? What, what caused you to change? Did you have no conviction about there being a God? About the gospel being true? About the judgment day? About heaven and hell? And I suspect that these boys just didn't have any conviction at all. Oh, they might, they might talk about the Lord and they might say, Blessed are you in the name of the Lord. And they might do all that while they're taking money under the table. They're like, dis, they're like dishonest politicians. They're like a dis, dishonest judge who takes a payoff and, and they pervert justice, the text says. They were willing to do that for money. And that being the case, they were, they were not men of conviction at all. In fact, they cared nothing for duty. Now, now, just look at the contrast that we've got here. You see, here's a woman over here who possesses integrity. Here's someone who lacked integrity. A woman of firm conviction, two young men with no conviction. Here's a woman who reminds, who not only does her own duty, but she reminds others of their duty. And that was one of the judges. Well, that's one of the jobs they had. They were supposed to tell others what the will of God was and remind others what their responsibilities were. But these, they cared nothing for duty. And while Deborah fostered success and contributed to others' success, these young men fostered failure. They fostered failure not only in their own lives, but in the lives of others. Listen, when you've got rulers, and that's what these judges were, make no mistake about it, in this case, people are coming to them to settle questions. There's a, here's a lawsuit of one Israelite against another, and they are perverting justice. They're taking money under the table, pay me and, I, and I'll, I'll judge the case in your favor. Did you know that that actually has a trickle-down effect? You know, when you've got corrupt rulers, when you've got corrupt leaders, it doesn't stay there. It affects the people who are under them and under them. And pretty soon the whole society can be tainted. One of the reasons for success of the people of Israel in Deborah's time is that this is a woman of integrity, a woman of honesty, a woman of conviction. And one of the reasons that things were in such bad shape in this time, in the time of Joel and Abijah, is because she was a person who had, they were men who had no integrity. Whereas Deborah contributed to the raising up and the betterment of the nation. These two boys were helping to bring the nation down. They failed their expectations. In verse 5, when you look at the text there, 
these people, the elders of Israel, came to Samuel and said, Look, you're old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. They're supposed to be judging us fairly and rightly, and you know they're not right. Deborah exceeded hers. They failed in theirs. And Deborah, what did she do? She gave credit to others. These guys here not only gave no credit to others, they merited no credit for themselves. Everything they did was despicable. And whereas Deborah gave credit to God for the victory, these boys were a disgrace to Israel, a disgrace to the people of God. Now, we started off by talking about respect of this, this woman, Larise Suits, who was well-respected in the congregation at Emerson Avenue. Look at this list again on the left side. She was a woman who served others, possessed wisdom, had the confidence of others, possessed integrity, held firm convictions, reminded others of their duty, fostered others' success, exceeded expectations, gave credit to others, gave credit to God. These are the things that will cause others to respect you. These will cause you to be a person of influence. But it's an inside job. You know, someone says, hey, you know, if I've got the right clothes, people will look up to me. If I've got, if I've got the right amount of money, people will look up to me. Give me a position of leadership. Make me a deacon in the church. I want to be a gospel preacher so people will respect me. I want to be an elder so people will respect me. You're too late, my friend. You need to respect before you become an elder. These are the things, these are the things that will, that will bring respect. So, when we come down to the bottom line here, it's not hard, it's not hard to figure out why Deborah commanded such respect. Now, some folks might look at her and say, she's a pretty unlikely leader. But when you see these qualities in her, it's not hard to figure out why she was a leader and why Joel and Abijah were not. So, when we look at the scoreboard at the end of the game, leadership scoreboard, Deborah scores 10, Joel and Abijah, nothing. Let me ask you one question as we close. We've got just two minutes left. Two minutes. What did we learn about the value of positional leadership from these two cases? Positional leadership is where you're given a position of leadership. These two boys were given a position of, of leadership. They were given the position of judges. Deborah was given a position as a judge. They both had a position. They had a position of leadership. Positions don't make leaders. When Deborah's in this position of leadership, she proves that she is a leader. When these two boys are given this position, they prove that they're not. You know, I, I heard, I've heard of people, I've heard of men in the church that said, I want to be an elder so I can get my hands on the wheel. I want to be able to call the shots around here. I want to be able to control things. Oh, my. Oh, my. Several years ago, I was in eastern... I was in East Tennessee. I started to say Eastern. You say that in Kentucky, not in Tennessee. I was in East Tennessee with Brother Phil Cavender. And his little daughter, Katie, was two years old at that time. And we were in a state park. There was Katie and, and her mom and Phil and Lee and I. And we were in the state park. The park was empty. It was a beautiful fall day, early fall day. And Phil put little Katie in, in his lap. And we're just kind of idling along at three, four, five miles an hour, enjoying the beauty of the park. 
and Katie's got her hands on the wheel, and she's looking around at, at us and grinning big because she's driving the car. Let me tell you something. A man in the church that says, I want the position. I want the position of, of, of being an elder so I can get my hands on the wheel. So I can call. Listen, I'm as smart as anyone here. I can make the decisions. If that's all a man sees is a power position, then he knows more, no more about elder than that little girl knew about driving a car. It's more than getting your hands on the wheel. Let me just say one last thing, because I can't talk about this without talking about shepherding. Being an elder is not just a decision maker. You know, when people pray for the elders, what do they pray for? There's two times when they get prayed for. General Sunday morning prayer, Lord, help the elders to make good decisions. And then if there's a prayer made when the contribution is taken up, Lord, help the elders to be wise in spending this money. Making decisions and spending money. Let me tell you what elders are supposed to be. They are shepherds. They're shepherds seeing to the well-being of souls. They see to the needs of the sheep. And shepherds don't do what shepherds want. They do what sheep need. There's so much more I'd like to say about leadership tonight. But that's my signal. Am I supposed to say something? I'll quit. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. God bless each of you.